Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about Xbox. A number of tinier stories all combined into one because Microsoft and their Xbox, and more specifically their Game Pass platform, has had one heck of a week. And I missed one of the major stories about seven or eight days ago because I've had this cough that's been hanging on and I might even have to edit a few out of this video. And I wanted people who have put my comments and my DMs to comment on the fact that I was wrong to know that, hey, being wrong is a part of all these conversations. And I always want to admit that and talk through it with you all when it happens. We've got a blog post that we talked about as part of our series here in Virtual Legality from March 9th last week in which Xbox and Phil Spencer, more specifically, officially welcomed the Bethesda team of game studios over to the Xbox ecosystem. And we looked at this commentary, we commented on the fact that they didn't really fully commit to having those Bethesda games be exclusive to the Xbox, and we talked about why, and it was an interesting bit of messaging. I, in fact, still think it's a very interesting bit of messaging because they are very good at straddling the fence between saying these things are going to be exclusive on Xbox and they aren't going to be primarily, presumably, because they don't want to offend a big class of video gamers that they would very much like to attract over to their ecosystem. We talked about this extensively last week. In fact, you can see on the thumbnail that I said, is it exclusive when talking about the Microsoft and Bethesda deal? As it turns out, it is very much exclusive, but in order to understand where I was coming from and where I think Phil Spencer and Xbox might even be getting it wrong a little bit, it's important to look at the Bethesda deal it was as it was originally announced. If we look at the Kotaku article that was talking about the Phil Spencer comments around the Bethesda deal, he said, hey, the deal was not done to take games away from another player base like that. Nowhere in the documentation that we put together was... How do we keep other players from playing these games? We want more people to be able to play games, not fewer people to be able to go play games. But I'll also say in the model, and I'm just answering directly the question that you had, which was, can you make $7.5 billion back by not selling Bethesda games on PlayStation? When I think about where people are going to be playing and the number of devices that we had, and we have xCloud and PC and Game Pass and our consoles, all thought of as differently from the Microsoft perspective, I don't have to go ship those games on any other platform other than the platforms that we support in order to kind of make the deal work for us, whatever that means. And one of the things that I said in the video that I did on this subject was that I thought with my economics background, looking at how these things worked, that a hybrid model might make the most sense. That you have these games available for quote unquote free or more specifically for the price you pay on Game Pass available for Game Pass owners, making it a value proposition to them while also simultaneously selling them into another market stream. And I also commented to a number of commenters that said effectively that was stupid and they were right that Microsoft's going in a different direction, that there are other models that we can see that use that concept. Most specifically, Video streaming, Netflix, HBO, HBO and Netflix. They sell copies of Stranger Things on Blu-ray, on digital. They sell copies of Westworld and Game of Thrones in other markets, even though they're also trying to sell an exclusive streaming service. So because Game Pass is different, one of the thoughts that I had was that Microsoft might do well to sell a copy of a game into a PlayStation ecosystem or into some other ecosystem while also simultaneously making the best value, as far as anybody could tell, the ability to play it on Game Pass. I still think that that is probably where you maximize your dollars. But 
It is also one of the trickier arguments to make internally at Microsoft, to your accountants, to your bean counters, to your CFO, whoever it might be, to say, we are going to spend $7.5 billion and then we're going to sell it to Sony. Sony's going to be able to combat our Xbox more strongly with the availability of those products. And also, boss, Sony's going to take 30% off the top for our selling our game into their ecosystem. It's a harder pitch, even though I think probably you could make a good case that the overall revenue and return on investment is higher, especially if you don't care about selling Xboxes more than you care about selling Game Pass. Of course, that is another indication that we see in what Phil Spencer actually wound up saying just about eight days ago. So this was a part of the Microsoft Bethesda big blowout announcement. And to be honest, I didn't expect him to say anything as definitive as he wound up saying. Let's take a look at what he said as reported by Eurogamer. Obviously, I can't sit here and say every Bethesda game is an Xbox exclusive because we know that's not true. There's contractual obligations that we are going to see through. Most evidently right now is Deathloop, which PlayStation signed up as an exclusive, which is made by, I believe it's Arcane Studios, one of the ZeniMax entities, and is going to be on PlayStation. So we know, just in terms of truth, that Phil Spencer can't sit there and promise every Bethesda game is only going to be on Xbox. So that's all valid. We have games that exist on other platforms, and we are going to go and support those games on the platforms they're on. Things that are currently on PlayStation or Nintendo or wherever, they're going to continue to get quote-unquote support. Whether or not that's more than maintenance and version upgrades, we don't know. It's possible that the things that are quote-unquote legacy, which is a term we'll see as the rest of this quote, that are existent on these other platforms will get more support, sequels or DLC. We, we don't know. Uh, but he is not committing to more than that, as we'll see in the second part of this commentary. There's community of players. We love those communities and we'll continue to invest in them. And even in the future, there might be either contractual things or legacy on different platforms that will go do. And a lot of people focused on legacy because it's easy enough to understand contracts, right? Hey, we took some money from PlayStation to put Deathloop as an exclusive on the PlayStation 5. You know what? We're going to honor that contract. We're going to put Deathloop exclusive on the PlayStation 5, but probably we're not going to enter into future contracts like that. Except this last sentence kind of leaves that open because when he talks about contractual things or legacy, he's not talking about the present tense. He says, even in the future, there might be contractual things or legacy. So there's a question of whether or not we're talking about existing contracts that operate in the future or future contracts that Microsoft might be willing to enter into, which you give an exclusive to another party, that seems enormously unlikely, but who knows? The second area here is legacy, and there's been a lot of debate about what that means. I think people have come to think that it means the Fallout 76s of the world that are essentially live services, ongoing games that are supported on various consoles in various places, and they're not going to take away from that. I'm not as sure because legacy could be read as broader. Hey, if you've always had Fallout games on the PlayStation, there's a legacy of Fallout games on the PlayStation. If there's going to be a Fallout 5, maybe it winds up on the PlayStation, maybe it doesn't. It doesn't appear to be that that's what Phil Spencer meant. However, as we see when we get to a little bit of the rest of his commentary. If you're an Xbox customer, Spencer continued, the thing I want you to know is this, this is about delivering great exclusive games for you that ship on platforms where Game Pass exists. You see two red highlights here, and I wanted to talk to you about them, parse them out a little bit as we do here in virtual legality. The first is that he didn't need to say the word exclusive there if he didn't want to. Now, this isn't a vetted statement. This is essentially a live 
set of statements made by Phil Spencer, but if there was a correction that needed to be made, it would have been made by now. There would have been a later uh, statement on the blog at Xbox that would have said, hey, Mr. Spencer misspoke. We're still configuring how we're going to do all this in the future. They didn't do that. So this was an intentional bit of messaging. We want you to know that this, buying Bethesda, is about delivering great exclusive games for you that ship on platforms where Game Pass exists, which is a slightly different tact than we saw them deploy in the fall of last year. One of the reasons for that might be, and a number of people asked me this question, is that talking about making things exclusive that were once more available broadly to a number of people isn't something that the EU regulators or the FTC or the DOJ likes. Doesn't mean they would have stopped the deal. In fact, I don't think they would have, so please don't take it the wrong way. But if you can keep those kinds of notions down under wraps a little bit better, like they did here in this Kotaku statement, then things are going to go a little bit more smoothly for you in the approval process. And again, I don't think this would have made the difference in terms of approval at all. There's plenty of people making video games. Buying Bethesda, while a very big deal, doesn't make video game distribution monopolistic really in any realistic way. So I don't think any of the regulators were going to step in front of this one. But it's worth noting that this tenor here from when the deal was announced to this tenor here when the deal is consummated is a different kind of feel. And he's focusing on exclusive games. He says, you're going to get them. But does he say Xbox? No. He says, if you're an Xbox customer, but then he changes the subject by the time you get to the end of the sentence. They are going to be exclusive games for you on platforms where Game Pass exists. He's not closing any doors here. One of the ways that Microsoft could quote unquote win in terms of revenue stream, in terms of proving themselves to their financial bosses at Microsoft is by getting Game Pass on more systems, breaking into the wall gardens of Nintendo and Sony. Now, do I think that will happen? No, I don't think it makes a ton of sense for Game Pass to go directly onto the Sony system because I think at that point in time, the Microsoft box, the one that goes under your TV, is almost completely dominated by the Sony system because Sony has more popularity and just a higher Q score. More people want it. It's got the better first-person exclusives, at least it has in the past. And if you put the Game Pass games that are Xbox first-person exclusives, first-party exclusives, apologies, although there are a lot of first-person games in there, then you aren't going to have a lot of differentiation between the Xbox box and the Sony PlayStation. It's an open question as to whether or not that matters as much to Microsoft as it has in the past. There is a possibility that Microsoft would give up its ability to differentiate the Xbox system completely if it could get Game Pass into effectively all markets for people that are interested in games, because that's a lower cost potentially in terms of delivering hardware, in terms of developing hardware, and getting a Game Pass Netflix for games type service into as many homes as possible could make them as much, if not more money. So it is possible that one of the areas where I got this wrong in my analysis a couple weeks ago is that Xbox doesn't care about selling boxes under TVs, but it really very much wants to get the Game Pass foot in the door in these other places. Do I think that will happen in the near term? Most definitely not, because Sony's running as a direct competitor. They're trying to fight this fight on even ground, and they are very interested in trying to own the video game ecosystem separate from all of this software as a service recurring revenue stream uh, stuff. And we see that when we see interviews from PlayStation that says, ah, we're not really sure about AAA games going out day and date on services like that. We don't think it makes sense for the hundreds of millions of dollars we spent. And that will be a continuing conversation, not the least of which 
because Game Pass continues to grow and grow and grow. This video is called Xbox's Big Week for a reason. It starts with Bethesda. Last Friday, we talked about them doing a not-so-coy, in our opinion, message about adding Outriders to Game Pass. And then by the time the start of this week rolled around, they had a very big Game Pass announcement, including Outriders, which I believe might be their biggest third-party day-and-date release on Game Pass. This is a Square game that I was very definitely going to buy. I was definitely going to buy it on the PlayStation and give Square $60. And because I am a Game Pass owner and owner of an Xbox Series X, I will no longer be doing that. So the economist in me is all interested in what this contract looks like, how much guaranteed money was offered, how much Square knows that they're going to lose in day one sales to folks like me that would have given them $60 and will no longer do so. And whether or not they're going to come out of this with as much money as they could have. Now, Outriders might have not had the biggest demo, might not have had the kind of internal rates of return that they were suggesting that they were seeing just based on the demo take up and what people were saying about it online. And if you get into that kind of situation, one thing that might happen is that the Square Enixes of the world say, we are going to lower our ceiling, but raise our floor, go get guaranteed money from Xbox, acknowledge that it's probably not going to be as uptaken on the PlayStation ecosystem as we might otherwise like to see it, or the PC, to be frank, because you'll see this is only cloud and console. It's not available on the PC Game Pass version. And we're going to live with that because we can guarantee that we're not going to lose as much money as we did in games like Avengers. More on that game in just a second. But it's worth noting that Outriders, Undertale, Yakuza 6, Empire of Sin, Octopath Traveler, one of our top 10 games of 2018, all releasing on Game Pass is a big deal. And it's such a big deal that I think we saw PlayStation really react to it a little bit with their play at home releases. Now this would have had to take some planning as well. So it's not a direct reaction, but they announced that they were giving away 10 free games or nine free games immediately. You don't need to be on PlayStation Plus. You don't need to be doing these other things. And some of these are incredibly awesome games. Astrobot Rescue Mission is one of the best VR experiences that I've ever had. The Witness is continuing to be one of the better puzzle games that I've ever played. Subnautica is a great survival crafter game. Res is fun. I've played a lot of versions of Res, so I'm not as effusive about that one. But there's just a ton of great games here that they're just giving away for free, really because competition is a great thing. Having Xbox, whether you're a PlayStation, Sony pony, whatever you want to call yourself, whether you're just an Xbox or any other bad names that anybody's ever called me in the comments to my videos, the competition between entities at full bore is fantastic. And this might be the first time that I can remember where Microsoft is hitting on some really big things. PlayStation and Sony hitting on some really big things. And all the while in the shadow of a Nintendo system that might wind up being their most popular ever. The major three companies in the video game industry are selling things that people want to buy and they're doing it well. They've got messaging issues. We've talked about them plenty here in virtual legality. But overall, we are in a moment in time where the video game companies do silly things, but not outright stupid things. And isn't that a fantastic video game industry to be involved with? Now, PlayStation wasn't really done there. They also wanted to make some noise by announcing things like their new PlayStation VR 2 controller set. And I know a number of people wanted me to talk about patents and things with respect to these controllers. I might look up some of those issues uh, in the near future, but 
all in all, not something that I'm necessarily well-versed in. So we're just going to take it on faith that these are patent protected, won't be infringing anybody else's rights, and look pretty darn cool. Certainly, if you've played the PlayStation VR in the past, you know the move controllers and the camera setup was really one thing that was holding the helmet back a lot. I still don't love that it has a cord after playing the Oculus Quest, but that's okay. New controllers, very, very necessary and very cool to see. You also saw as part of Sony making these announcements, another kind of strange announcement, which wasn't really announcement from Xbox when people tried to plug in the new headset for the Xbox. I believe this is Italy where they got a notion that said Il Visor VR doesn't work right now. It needs an update, right? Uh, Your VR visor, your VR headset. At which point Microsoft said the following, and we like to parse things here in virtual reality, so I want to point out that this is slightly ridiculous. An Xbox spokesperson told VGC that the copy in this error message is inaccurate due to a localization bug, adding, VR for console is not a focus for us at this time. And it might well not be, but it's very difficult to see precisely how you asking to have something localized wound up with Il Visor VR unless there is at least some notion that VR helmets are going to be supported at some level. Doesn't mean it isn't a localization bug, right? You called up a specific message to say your headset needs an update. You accidentally called up the VR helmet needs an update. That's a bug. But note that they don't deny the existence of a VR helmet concept or business plan. They just say it's not a focus for us at this time, which if you've been in virtual reality for a while, you know is a bit of sleight of hand. They don't say, none of this is true. This is false. It's a fraudulent thing. It was never intended to be this way. Just, hey, it's not our focus right now. And you can almost read an invisible ink right after this, but stay tuned. And that leaves us with talking about some of our final things here. Big week for Xbox, finishing up today with some snark. Earlier in virtual legality, we did a video called No More Generations, in which we really talked about how cool an idea it was that Xbox was going out with something called smart delivery, that the Xbox itself would figure out What was the best version of a game that is available from the developers and make that the game that you played on your system? In the most recent case, Marvel's Avengers from Square Enix and Crystal Dynamics has released a Series X and PlayStation 5 version of that game, and it's a little bit easier to get to on the Xbox. In fact, if you go and look at what Marvel's Avengers said that you had to do for the PlayStation side of things, they said as follows. How to migrate your save from PlayStation 4 to PlayStation 5. Launch the fully patched PlayStation 4 version, then go to the Save Migration tab on the main menu to initiate the upload. Once the migration is done, launch the PlayStation 5 version, so you have to keep both versions on your system, where you'll be prompted to download the data. Even if you have both versions on the same console, save migration is necessary to boot the save on the PlayStation 5 version due to cross-compatibility issues, and you'll need to download the latest update for the PlayStation 4 version so you can download the PlayStation 5 version. If you're running the version of the PlayStation 4 game, which hasn't been updated, you won't see the save migration tab, won't be able to transfer save data, and can't use your save on your PlayStation 5 version. Now, Marvel's Avengers, if you aren't familiar with it, is a looter shooter type game. You're getting all this equipment. If you've been playing it since it released last fall, you have characters in various states of leveling up. It's not really campaign progress that you're worried about. It's all the time that you've spent since you bought the game. So going without saves and save migration on this particular game is not really an option, which is one of the reasons why Tom Warren went out and said, uh, how to migrate your save from Xbox One to Series X. Launch the game. At which point, Aaron Greenberg over at Microsoft, fully in snark zone, fully after having Xbox's biggest week maybe in its history, said thanks, smart delivery. We're right on the edge of these big video game megaliths now snarking at each other in a fashion that I tend to enjoy. I like the competition. It's all friendly. 
But that is important to note because Microsoft and Xbox and their console really has taken the leader position on ease of use, lack of friction. You want to go and you want to get the Xbox Series X version of a game. It's just there. It's smartly delivered to your system. That's what you play. You don't have to worry about these other things. Versus on the PlayStation, you have to click on that three lines option button. You get the various versions. You have to check twice to make sure you're playing the right version. And it's a much bigger hassle. It's a very small thing in the grand scope of playing video games. But there's no question that Microsoft has come out full steam this year, buying Bethesda for $7 billion, putting things like Outriders day one, on Game Pass, moving to make those Bethesda games exclusive to Game Pass uh, or Game Pass supporting consoles and other systems and putting the pressure on PlayStation to do things like we saw with the release of those games, making them make announcements about their VR situation, the things that differentiate them from Xbox and the beneficiaries of all this. Xbox's big week is not just a big week for Xbox. It's a big week for video gamers and people that love games. And I couldn't be more excited to see where this all continues to go. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoy talking about the business and law of video games, the industry, pop culture in general, music, movies, television, we might do some more movie-related things uh, in the very near future because I've got some thoughts on some big releases this past 48 hours or so. Please consider supporting the channel. We've got a Patreon. We've got Streamlabs tips. We've got a store with some really awesome shirts and some new designs to come very, very shortly. And if none of that appeals to you, just consider subscribing, ringing the bell, leaving comments about how right I am, how wrong I am. Google loves them all the same. I love talking to you about them all the same. And most importantly, telling folks that we are here. Every little bit helps in terms of getting the the word out that we're having these kinds of conversations in this space. Thank you so much for everybody that does that. For everybody that supports the channel in any way, every little bit helps. And I am so, so thankful for all of it. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.